rather you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity you're listening to the Restorative Justice Ministry of the Diocese of Austin. With us today is Renee Brown, Director of Counseling Services for Catholic Charities of Central Texas. Also, Deacon Ronnie Lostavica, our Coordinator of Pastoral Care in the Gatesville region. And myself, Father Harry Dean, a diocesan priest for the Diocese of Austin, uh, working in restorative justice ministry as well. We're covering the topics of trauma and sexual abuse. This is our second session of five, and we're beginning to wade into what it is to uh, experience trauma and at uh, all levels of our being. We do want to say to those of you who have experienced trauma that as we go through this material, if you begin to get uncomfortable or if it begins to bring back things that re-traumatize you, step away. Uh, no sense in uh, exposing yourself to uh, material that may harm you, uh, but we're hopeful that it doesn't, that it'll really help you to uh, situate yourself in, in your own mind and heart as to where you are with uh, any trauma or abuse in your life. And for our parents out there, uh, this is mature material. Um, we wouldn't recommend it necessarily for young children, so you might want to have them uh, step away at this time as well. So today, uh, Renee, on continuing our conversation about trauma specifically, how does trauma affect a person physically? So as we shared a little bit in the in the last session, I want to make sure that I always, you know, tell you guys where I get my information from. And so once again, I use the SAM, SAMHSA uh, website, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, to, to obtain a lot of the direct information I'm going to share with you. And there's a quote that I wanted to share real quickly just because I thought it was so great. But it says, traumatic events overwhelm the ordinary symptoms. Uh, systems of care that give people a sense of control, connection, and meaning. And that's from Judith Herman. And so it's to say that all the uh, systems, you know, within us, our emotions, our physical, all those physical pieces of our body, everything is affected by trauma and it becomes overwhelmed. So when we're thinking about some of the physical things, and we talked a little bit about this in our last session when we were looking at some of the delayed responses to trauma, but so much of the physical body is actually affected. And so we know um, that a person may start experiencing an elevated heart rate, um, and that can even be when they're resting. You know, they can be sitting still and just kind of be in a resting position, but their heart rate still may be just you know, going fast, they may um, develop uh, hypertension, you know, high blood pressure. Um, And also uh, they may notice like the stress hormones in their body is changing as well. Um, The stress hormones that are, you know, uh, located in the body and in the blood, there could be changes in these things. Um, Trauma can take a detrimental effect on a person's physical health. And so, um, People may think, um, and the the challenging thing is it can look like um, so many different things, but it really may go back to just some of those trauma pieces, but um, even sweating, lightheadedness, like um, maybe a person's thinking that they're having a stroke, you know, and they're really not. It's just all related to the trauma, you know, cold, sweaty hands, um, just some different things like that. Um, Also, um, I had another 
kind of list I wanted to look at too, but um, I can't find it right now. But chest breathing, respiratory issues, um, a person may find it hard to breathe. They may think that it's like an asthma attack or something like that, but it's really all um, associated with the um, with trauma. Renee, what is somatization and how is it related to trauma? Somatization, um, such a hard word to say. Y'all, we have uh, been challenged to figure out how to pronounce this one. Um, so it focuses on those body symptoms or the dysfunctions that may be going on in your body to express emotional distress. So somatic symptoms um, are very likely to occur with people who maybe have not only expressed uh, experienced trauma, but for people who are struggling with post-traumatic stress uh, syndrome uh, uh, as well. And so um, the interesting thing about somatic um, things happening in the body it actually will differ from person to person. So it this is a piece of like where uh, gender plays a role in the way our body feels symptoms. Uh, it can be the way uh, different ethnic groups will feel uh, symptoms in their body. So when we were when I worked with refugees, a lot of times when you're talking to them about like, well, how are you feeling since? You know, you were held at gunpoint, right? It's really hard sometimes for them to tap into the middle emotional, but they can give me a lot of the body symptoms. So those somatizations they could pick up on, like, well, I'm having stomach aches and I'm having headaches and, you know, I can't sleep at night. So they'll pick up on somatization, all those symptoms, but sometimes the emotional piece is something that they can be um, a little detached from. So somatization just has to deal with how the body is um, experiencing things like chronic pain. Um, a person may develop, you know, body aches just all over their, you know, their knee hurts, their head hurts. Uh, just in general, they feel tired all the time. And so this can be associated with uh, somatization. And once again, like um, because you... Um, Maybe that breathing, not just the asthma, but it can kind of lead into some other things. Um, rheumatoid arthritis. I thought that was so interesting. I would not have thought about that or like some skin issues. So it just kind of goes all over the body. Maybe like a lump in your throat where you feel like you can't swallow. Um, fainting, tingling body parts. Um Heavy limbs, like you feel heavy. Your body feels heavy. Um, and people may even develop some hypochondrias in this. I think the interesting thing about the somatic body kind of pieces is that people will often go to the doctor, right, and they think that they're having heart troubles. They think that maybe they're developing um, hypertension or maybe they feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm on the verge of a stroke. And they might be prescribed medication for all of that if their doctor is not aware that they've, you know, been through a traumatic, um, you know, situation. And so they could be being prescribed a medication that they really don't need. They're just experiencing somatization. And it's very common after trauma. So it's really important when people are going to the doctor, right, because you, now you have all these symptoms and you're concerned and 
Um, of course, if, you know, maybe if you're in the military or somewhere where you have access to a phone, we start putting all of our symptoms in and then we're convinced we go to our phone and we go online and we put all these symptoms in and we're convinced that we have all these things wrong with us. But if we didn't consider that we had this traumatic event, maybe a few months prior or a year prior, and you really haven't worked on it with a counselor or a priest or whoever you need to work with, um, you may be going to the doctor for the wrong thing. You know, you may need to be seeing a counselor or a therapist or something like that. So that's the somatic side of things, but there's also the biological side of things. How are they different and, and what would be the, the effect of trauma for the biology versus the, the somatic? So the biology piece, um, when I was going through all this information on this site, um, it's kind of a, a an area with a lot of new research, right? They're, they've been looking at it for years, but now it's like, you know, it's really coming to the forefront of how trauma affects, you know, the biology of our body. Um, and, of course, they kind of look at it. The researchers are looking at it like this can be very promising, right? If we know how trauma affects the biology of the body— it's going to only help us as, you know, clinicians or as medical doctors be able to help people better, you know, with some of those symptoms that they're experiencing in the body with trauma. Um, and so one of the things that this article mentioned was um, changes in the limbic. 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 Right. Yeah. I had to write a big old B in there. <laughs> right. Uh, so that sy- symptom uh, system is so it's interesting because I cannot remember all of this, but. That particular system in the body is a set of structures um, in the brain, right? And so it's dealing with emotions and memory, um, and it regulates um, our indoctrine uh, functions and responses to emotional stimuli. This, to me, was so meaningful because when you're dealing with um, trauma or later when we talk a little bit about PTSD, this makes sense that that part of your brain is going to be affected, because everything in trauma is so emotionally motivated. Your memory, all those pieces are so important and it's all affected in trauma. So it makes such sense that this part of the brain would be affected. And if, if doctors and researchers can figure out something that they can do in this, you know, this area, then perhaps it's going to make it easier when people are trying to cope and get through the traumatic events that they've experienced. And so some other things that they discussed in this article, too, is like the neurotransmitters that go on in our body, um, how they work with dysregulation and arousal. And this all has to do with your emotions. People can become emotionally dysregulated. We're going to talk about that. I think it's in the next session. But when you're screaming and yelling and you don't know what to do, um, you're emotionally dysregulated. And so knowing that trauma is affecting the neurotransmitters in your body, this can be partly of why you're um, becoming dysregulated. So is it that, you know, it is the emotional part, but then this could also speak to that dysregulation um, or the hyperarousal that sometimes people will experience after trauma where everything is just on point, you're, you're way up. Everything around you, you're just hyper aware of. And that all kind of stems back to that biological part of the body. Um, And then another piece that they talked about in terms of biology as well 
was the, you know, the hyperarousal and the sleep disturbances as well. So we know like serotonin is is well needed for good sleep, right? And so one another piece of that biology, the trauma that you've experienced, and now the, the biology of your body has been traumatized as well. So this plays a part in those sleep disturbances. I mean, most people pr- have disturbed sleep, but after trauma, you can be completely messed up, we could say. So if you were a person like who falls asleep easily and now you can't fall asleep at all, that's the biology of your body. Those sleep disruptions and that serotonin is being affected due to trauma. The um, being hyper aroused, you know, um, to the consequences of trauma that that's going to affect you with the biology of your body. And so in thinking about hyper arousal, um, I did get some information on that because I was like, hmm, how do I want to explain this? So when, it, when we talk about hypervigilance and that hyper arousal, um, it talks about how people who've endured trauma, right, they're on guard. They're on guard for their intrusive memories. They don't want to remember things, right? And so um, they're going to be more likely to be cautious because they don't want to further injure themselves. They And so this all kind of ties back to the brain, all this going on. And so when you think about hypervigilance, that hyper, you know, arousal, you know, you're looking at feeling vulnerable, you know, fearful for a lot of different things. You're unable to feel calm, even in a safe place. You can't feel that calm because you're just so hypervigilant on everything. And maybe you're fearful of this happening again. You can in- be anticipating disaster at every avenue, you know, um, People may find themselves like looking behind the, the curtain in the shower, people looking under their bed, looking in closets, just fearful of being traumatized again, especially that for somebody that maybe was raped or sexually abused or in some way. They're they're going to be hyper aroused. They're looking around for things. They want to make sure they're safe. Everything is a little exaggerated. Maybe they start keeping a weapon because they're fearful of being hurt again. Um, maybe they're even overprotective of loved ones. You know, I know I shared in another um, session that I was sexually abused as a child. And so as an adult, mom, with as a mom, I was very hyper vigilant with my kids. Nobody watched my children except my parents or my sisters. I didn't trust anybody, which now I can look back and that was probably a little crazy, right? But it was that hyper vigilant, that hyper arousal that I needed to protect them. Would that be also, Renee, um, for particularly people that have been in combat, um, where there's a lot of exaggerated sound uh, that's there, the sound of shells exploding, the sa- mm-hmm. sound of gunfire right next to you or coming at you, that when you come back from that and then you hear immediate loud sounds that you jump through the roof, mm-hmm. that you you know that you have an exaggerated, that's hypervigilance. That hypervigilance, that hyperarousal, you're just so aware. It's almost like um, being on pins and needles, right? You're just kind of hyper aware of everything around you. So that loud noise, you know, it's going to give you that startle response mm-hmm. as well. Yes. I've, I've also heard of um, when people are in a, in a hypervigilant state that when they're driving, They'll find themselves going down the road and their hands will start to hurt because they're gripping mm-hmm. the steering wheel five times too strong than they really need to, not even realizing that they're in that vigilance mode. Absolutely. Yeah, they're just so um, f- 
focused and they're so hyper aroused that they guess they will do that. They're holding on tight to that steering wheel of the car and maybe even clenching their teeth uh-huh. as well. Mm-hmm. Renee, trauma can affect the ability to think and reason. How does it affect a person's cognitive abilities? So cognitive can be affected in many ways. And I found this really great, um, it's like a table, kind of like a figure they gave in the book. And so I wish everybody could see it because it was so awesome. But when we think about cognitive, you know, and people experiencing trauma, it's it, what I can see on this piece of paper is a triangle. And it says, you know, it changes a person's views about the world, right? And so it may be where once... They felt like the world was a safe, fun place to be. Now they feel like the world is a dangerous place, right? And where maybe before they felt like they could trust people. Now people cannot be trusted. Life is unpredictable. And the reality is, is most people know these things, but you kind of just, if we lived in fear every day, we would do nothing, right? So then we just feel like, oh, most people we can trust, you know? Life is pretty predictable, but with trauma, it completely flips the script, so to speak. And it can change their the views about the future, right? Things are, they're going to always be the same. Nothing's ever going to change for me. Um, you know, what is the point in doing the work? Nothing's going to change, right? Um, I always feel like when people come to counseling, that's when they're, they've kind of gotten past that. Oh, it can change. Um, I will never get over this. It's hopeless. You know, I always want to encourage people um, with mental health, nothing is hopeless, right? If you do the work, you can get through it. Um, And then just their views about their self. You know, um, after trauma, people often believe, you know, um, that they're incompetent. Um, It's so interesting when I would work in domestic violence, how many women believed that they were incompetent and just stupid and they should have seen what was going to happen. They should have known this person. Um, And so instead of like blaming the person who abused you, they take all of that on and start believing like I'm incompetent Um, or they'll think I should have reacted differently. And when we're put in stressful, traumatic situations, sometimes we don't know how we're going to react. I think we like to think we would know, but we don't always know um, how we're going to react. It could be, um, it's too much for me to handle. You know, I feel damaged. And in the past, maybe this was a person that was very independent, very, you know, they felt like they were strong. They could handle anything. But then this traumatic event puts them into this thinking of, you know, I I can't handle this. Or maybe they feel like they're a damaged person. You know, now they're, they're, well, their worth and value has been affected, and now they feel damaged. So that was on this great little um, thing that I had copied. But some other things to kind of look at, um, it, if you really want to get down to the basics, what it does, and I love the way this is said, from the onset, trauma challenges the just world or the core life of assumptions that help individuals navigate daily life. And that was from Janoff Bullman. But I thought that was just beautifully said because it totally trauma affects the way that we believe life works. It affects us at the very core to where we can't navigate daily life anymore. And then just some other things that, that often come up. So people may start experiencing like some cognitive errors in their thinking. 
And so that can be like misinterpreting a current situation um, or maybe they feel like something's dangerous just because it kind of reminds them of the traumatic event that they've experienced. Like, for example, if you were in a car wreck, that can be traumatizing. And so then if you're in a car and you see a person speed by you, you know, you may just, oh, my God, they're going to be in a wreck. You know, and so you're kind of you develop these cognitive errors um, it could be like overreacting in some way. You know, if you're um, if uh, like I can tell you that my daughter, when she was like uh, 18 months, almost drowned. Right. And so thankfully, we we let her get back in the water. But I was very for a long time worried about that. Right. Like, what if she drowns again? Thankfully, she didn't have that experience. But I had another client. I had a client that um, that was a worry for him. He did almost drowned as well. And so then he was very fearful of water. He could be standing in ankle, you know, uh, depth of water, but that fear, you know, that he could drown again. So just some uh, challenges with cognitive errors or excessive or inappropriate guilt. You know, a lot of times people will feel guilty for the things that have happened to them. Um, when I was in domestic violence, that would happen a lot. Um, I worked with a lot of um, dancers and strippers in domestic violence, and they felt like um, because they were a stripper that it was their fault that they ended up in this domestic violence relationship, and they took the blame for that. And um, it would, I always thought that was very interesting. So a lot of times it, that's a big cognitive uh, way of being affected is absorbing and taking on this misplaced guilt. And then also idolizations. People will start becoming very idealistic sometimes, you know, um, and they're making justifications. This happens a lot in domestic violence as well. And also, um, I think with children who are probably, um, if you have people who have been neglected in childhood or physically abused, right, they will justify the behaviors of the perpetrator. Well, if I just would have behaved better, my mom wouldn't have beat me, right? If if I would have been a better wife, if I would have had dinner ready when he got home, I wouldn't have got beaten. So it's this justification or these idealizations. Like if I was the perfect wife, well, nobody's going to ever obtain perfection. That can happen. If I would have been a good kid, uh, my mom wouldn't have beat me or my dad wouldn't have beat me, you know, those kind of things. Um and people sometimes can even experience um, trauma-induced uh, delusions or kind of hallucinations. And they're really more, uh, this talks about that they're kind of more biological in nature. But when when a person has experienced extreme trauma and they don't really work on it, and then there's other traumas that kind of come on, or if you were in a situation of trauma where it was repeated, like you were repeatedly sexually abused, maybe you were repeatedly physically abused, maybe domestic violence went on for years where you were repeatedly abused, at some point you may develop some delusions or some hallucinations. And that's definitely that time that you want to, you know, enlist the help of a counselor if that's available to you. And then sometimes people will experience bombardment of memories are just these intrusive thoughts. Um, and so intrusive thoughts are just, um, I'm trying to think of how I want to explain it. It's just, it's almost a re-traumatizing, right? So it's this thought of something that happened from the trauma. Let's say that a person was maybe 
held down or held against a wall sometime. And people may have that enter their mind as an intrusive thought. So they're they're kind of re-traumatizing their self is what happens with some of the cognitive pieces. In the entertainment world, movies, television, uh, even uh, written material, flashbacks are often a prominent feature of telling a story. And so they get portrayed over and over again, and people learn from what they see on television and in movies. But my suspicion is that the what get por- gets portrayed in, for entertainment purposes isn't necessarily real world. So what are flashbacks as regard – uh, to traumas and and then also triggers. What when we hear that word all the time? Well, it's a trigger for me. Well, what what do those terms actually mean in the world of assisting people who have been through trauma? So I love the way that they've defined this, and so I'm going to kind of be reading because this is just it's so it makes it so easy to understand. But a trigger is a stimulus that sets off a memory of a trauma or a specific portion of a traumatic experience, okay? Um, Imagine you were trapped briefly in a car after an accident. Then several years later, you were unable to unlatch a lock after using a restroom stall. And you start to feel upset about all this, right? So because you couldn't get out of the trapped car, then you get trapped in the bathroom, right? And when you can't get out of that bathroom stall, the trigger was... You know, the bathroom stall is the trigger to help you remember when you were trapped in that car in an accident, right? But triggers can be, there's all kinds of triggers. So triggers can be smells. So let's say, um, as a matter of fact, I had a client who had been sexually abused as a child repeatedly, and there was a men's cologne that she just, if she smelled it, that was a trigger for her because her stepfather wore this certain cologne. I can't remember what it was, but that became a trigger for her. Sounds can become a trigger. Um, So sounds, smells, um, even places can be a trigger, Um, or just people in general. For a long time for me, and this is going to sound like a strange trigger, but because I was sexually abused, um, men who were kind of uh, dark skin and dark hair would often trigger me. Not badly, but it would kind of remind me of what had happened. So sometimes people can be a trigger. There can be scenes in a movie that will trigger you. Um, I can't, There's a lot of movies I cannot watch. If they're like rape scenes, I can't watch those because it would trigger me. Now I probably could, but um, in the past before I did all my counseling and my work, I couldn't watch certain movies because of certain scenes would trigger me. So just know that a lot of the way a person speaks to you, it could be even a word that somebody says that may remind you. Their triggers can be so many things to so many different people. And so um, just be aware of that. Or like this, you know, getting trapped in a bathroom, you know, that whole thing of just a trap in the bathroom reminded you of the wreck that you were in. So um, that's triggers. So then if we look at flashbacks, um, flashback is a re-experiencing of of a previous traumatic experience as if it's happening again in that moment. They last seconds. Some it's, it's almost like a picture before your eye that you can, your eyes, you see something that you've lived before. And it, the flashback is usually brought on 
by a trigger, right? I always encourage people, you know, with flashbacks, try not to be scared of it. You're not freaking out. It's the brain's way of maybe trying to release some of this stuff. Or in, in, and in therapy, it's very helpful. You know, I'll tell people to write their flashback down if they can remember it because it can be helpful in putting that puzzle piece uh, everything in therapy is like a big puzzle, and we're just adding all those pieces to it to build a picture maybe of, of what happened to somebody. And so um, <clears throat> it also says that flashbacks are commonly initiated by a trigger, but that's not always necessary. It doesn't always happen that way. So you could have a flashback without having a trigger. Um, and with flashbacks, what will happen is sometimes people feel kind of vulnerable Right. And they may even feel like they're re-experiencing the trauma again. You've been listening to Renee Brown, Director of Counseling Services for Catholic Charities of Central Texas, Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, our Coordinator of Pastoral Care for the Restorative Justice Ministry in the Gatesville region, and myself, Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin in the Restorative Justice Ministry. We're talking about trauma and sexual abuse, and this is uh, the close of our second session. We have three more to go. We hope you can stay with us and continue on because we have lots more of good information and some things to uh, help us along uh, whenever we have been exposed in that way. So let us ask our God to protect us all from the violence of others, to keep us safe from the weapons of hate, and restore us to tranquility and peace. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Brother, 